This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Burst. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Well, from crisis to service, you won't want to miss today's story. Yes, welcome to Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. And today we are chatting with none other than Chris. Thank you, Chris, for coming in on today's show to share a burst of your life with us. Now, take us back to the very beginning. Where did life start out for you, Chris? Um, I was born in 1945, about six weeks before the war ended. And um, I'm the eldest of four daughters in the family. For a short time after the war, we actually lived in the Springbank Army Camp. My father was in the Army. What? Where was Where was that? That was at Springbank, very close to the Repat, where the Repat is mm. now. Okay, yeah. And, of course, it's not there now. Yeah, Adelaide, yeah. I can vaguely remember it being like Nissan Hut type things. Mm-hmm. The other girls, I'm the eldest, and the other girls don't remember being there at all. But then we moved probably when I was around three and... We've got a housing trust house at Morpherville, so we moved in there. Right. Being the eldest of uh, a number of girls, did that come with great responsibility for you? Well, it does a bit. The eldest one always gets into trouble when the others do stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Are there some stories along the way? Yeah, there's a few stories along the way, yes. Okay, all right. Mm. Okay, so you got this this house. Um, What did that feel like to have a house for the first time in your it, life? It was quite exciting really because that was a very new area and those houses were just dumped in there. Uh, it's between Marion Road and the race course mm-hmm. and Crossroads was and Crossroads and Marion Road were the closest roads. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only just like bush tracks really. Right. And us kids had a great time there because there was box thorns and paddocks and all sorts of stuff. We used to go down to the edge of the race course and there was a creek along there now, which is not it was then, but it's mm. not there now, mm-hmm. and catch tadpoles with the boys next door. So there was a group of six double housing trusts on our block and I remember saying, uh, some of the adults saying at one stage, there was 96 children lived in those six double units so wow. yeah so there was plenty of people to play with and plenty of area to do it yeah okay yeah, so yeah. it was quite interesting so yeah. what's now uh dense suburbia absolutely at the time yes it was, not, yeah. it, it was uh, there was plenty of room to play yes and a sad part now is that all those housing trust houses are gone mm. um the one that we were in mum and dad stayed there obviously for a long time mm-hmm. and it was beginning to crack and fall down they just were thrown up really after the war for emergency housing and mm-hmm. they're all gone so it's a bit sad yeah mm-hmm. and how long did you stay there as a family oh we all stayed there until we were married mm-hmm. and left home us girls mm-hmm. um and mum and dad were there uh, dad actually passed away while they were still living there mum was there 48 years before we decided that unit and then we moved her into a unit at that stage so um we were there for a long time right uh you're saying it's a Double, double housing yeah. trust unit. Yeah. Yes. What what is what what is that? <laughs> I don't know what that looks like. Uh, well, there was like two houses together. They had an adjoining wall, mm-hmm. and um, and usually they were the sort of same shape. Uh, like you both went off the verandas and the 
Mm. Lounge rooms were there and the bedrooms were there. Three bedrooms and they weren't all that terribly big. So with being four of us, there was two of two girls in each room, um, which is different today. Mm. Children have to have their own rooms, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah. what was it like sharing with your sister? Oh, she was a bit of a mucker. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> and I, we used to get into trouble because I, <laughs> the room always looked messy. But it usually wasn't my fault. Wasn't I was you. the neat freak, and yes, and she'll she'll know she'll know that. She, we talk about that now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds like my kids, except they don't take ownership. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so and schooling around the area. Yes, we did. Um, when I first started primary school, I used to catch a bus to Plimpton, um, which is just on the other side on Marion Road of Anzac Highway. Mm-hmm. But by the time I got to Year Two. Forbes Primary School had been built and that was sort of a new area with lots of kids um, and that's still there. Um, just on Marion Road, there's a block of shops, Forbes shops, and they were there when I was a child. But on the other side where there's now a funeral director's, it used to be a big old barn and feed lot with great big peppercorn trees okay. and scary and all the boys used to tell us all sorts of stuff. Like, was, you know, I would shoot past that really quick. Yeah. <laughs> Memories. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So did you end up, you know, getting together with one of those boys from the group? No. No? No. Okay. No, no. okay. Well, you never know. There was well, a lot of them there. Know. There was lots of them, yeah. But there was lots of girls as well, you know, like yeah. it was all just mixed up. But it, next door to us, we actually had boys both sides of us. So, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So none of them ended up with each other? No, no, no. Oh, no okay. They've all gone our separate ways. So, yeah. 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 Mm. Then I, from there I went to Vermont Tech. Okay. Vermont Girls Tech, which is not there anymore either, um, and that's down a little bit further down Marion Road, and I was one of the original students when that opened. So. Okay. Mm. And what did you focus on at Vermont Tech? Uh, well, girls did... Um, Home ec, yeah. typing, yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, right, so, yeah. And I did go and finish year, year 10, mm-hmm. which in those days most girls left school because it was an all-girls school in either year 7 or 8 when you got to be 14 you could work. But my mum stuck out and said, no, these girls are going to have a better education and my mm. dad wasn't happy about that. But she did stick out. And in, in the long, it's, it's paid off. So, mm. Right. So you're saying that when you were, did you do, obviously you did like maths and English and those types of things? Yes, all the, yes, yeah, maths, English and geography and and uh, history. Um, yeah, but yeah. there was more of a focus on those. Specific... On the home duty type yeah. stuff, yeah, and typing because, you know, like in those days you just left school and got a fill-in job until you married somebody that would look after you because that's how it was in those days. And there wasn't really a great big choice of jobs that mm. you could do. Mm. Be a hairdresser, shopkeeper, typist, nurse. That was sort of about all that could happen. Mm. Yeah. And what did you want to be? I hadn't made up my mind. I didn't want really be be anything. Mm. Just bumming along, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah. Did you enjoy the like home ec side of things or the typing things? Did you do yeah. like dressmaking? Yes, I did. Yes, and I did too? dressmaking, and I really yeah. enjoyed that. Um, okay. And I used to be able to draft my own patterns and things, and back in the long time ago. Yeah. Mm. So. Mm. So when year ten completed, uh, you finished finished school. school. Uh, yes, what, what I got you? a job in um, 
in Edwardstown in a factory, working in the office in a factory. Mm-hmm. So I've always sort of went into office work, um, clerical type work, yes. Yeah, so, um, and then I did work, did clerical work for Bad Knox Transport too, a long time ago. They're not around anymore either. So yeah. it makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> so that was typist position? Yes, yes. So, mm. Yeah. As a woman and myself as well, I don't, I cannot begin to imagine what it must have been like to have that pressure on you, like you just go to school and then when you turn 14, you just need to leave and go do something yes. until you meet a husband who will then provide for you. Yes. Yeah, that was that was the mentality back then, yes. Did you like that mentality? <laughs> well, it was just normal. It didn't okay. make any difference really. So, yeah. yeah. And we usually married quite young. Like it's young to the days these days, like 18, 19. Um, I married at 18, mm-hmm. had my first child at 19, mm-hmm. and I was 21 when I had my second pregnancy. It turned out to be twins. Oh, wow. So, yes, I didn't actually know I was having twins because they didn't do scans or anything until the night before. And then okay. they decided it was twins. So, Surprise. Yes. Mm. Instant, instant family. Of, exactly. Of, of three. <laughs> yes. Mm. Wow. Mm. Well, there's got to be some stories in that itself. Uh, having a child for the first time is a is a whirlwind. It's a, a yes. challenge. Um, yep. And uh, having twins must have been a challenge too. When we come back, though, we might yep. uh, hear from you what you're happy to share about that. Okay. This Thank is you. Life Bursts uh, with Matt and Sarah. See you soon. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. Welcome back to Life Best with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Chris, and we've got to the part of the story where suddenly you have a almost two-year-old and some twins that you didn't know about until the night before. <laughs> no. <laughs> share it with parents or future parents like myself if I ever get you know have twins some advice that you would looking back now could share with parents well when I had the twins I wasn't really expecting twins and we were moving house that day so I went to hospital and had the twins and everybody else moved the house but that was okay um when I was got home with the twins the my mum used to come one day a week and help me catch up because it was just nappies that we washed and mm-hmm. did all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I had a lovely aunt that used to come another day a week and maybe she'd do the ironing or something that I hadn't got to. But it, they were four hourly fed for nearly nine months because they were premature. Mm. And so that was a bit taxing. <laughs> but you do get there. It just happens and you just get there. So... Mm. Mm. How was sleep like during that time? Uh, not much. <laughs> no, not much because it's four hourly during the night as well mm-hmm. and it used to take probably about an hour by the time I fed both of them and put them down and then it's only a couple of hours and the first one was awake again. So, yeah. yeah. And was it, were you, was it hard for you to sleep because the children were premature and you, yeah, right, something might happen. Or... Yes, yeah, yeah. I think I think you're on the go the whole time. Um, uh, I found motherhood really lovely. I thoroughly enjoyed it all, um, even though I was tired and busy. Um, my husband was around a little bit, 
uh, because he did shift work. And so sometimes he was home to be helpful and sometimes he wasn't. So mm. you just have to get on with it. Mm. Wow. Yes. Well, if you got through that, you can probably get through anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. By the sounds of it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a very busy time mm. and it always is when you've got small children, mm. you know, like I had three under three. So uh, it keeps you busy. Mm. Yeah. Right. So uh, imagine the next few years, the family consumed uh, a lot of the yes. of the children. Yes. Plenty of yeah. years, your time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I didn't work during those mm. times. Um, and when the children, Darren was almost five and the twins had, were about two and a half, we moved to Wyala. My husband got work in Wyala and we met, moved up there, um, moved the family up there. So, mm. Was that quite isolating, being far away I, from I home? found it really hard because it sort of come, like, mum's not there anymore, mm. aunt's not there anymore to help. Yeah. But by that time, the kids were pretty self-sufficient, like they were growing up a little bit. Um, yeah, so. That sounds like you'd gone from having all these people around you yes. all the time to then, like, nothing. Yes, yes, yeah. Who was there for you during those times? Neighbours. Neighbours. Um, uh, there was three of us in a row in Wyala that were Australian families, which is very unusual because there was a lot of lot of people coming there after in the seventies mm-hmm. to work from overseas, um, mm-hmm. and we all just got on, um, helped each other, did things together. Yeah, so made a life. Yeah. Yeah. And what? how how many years were you in Moyala? Yeah. Uh, twenty one altogether. Oh wow. Okay. Yes, twenty one. Yeah, it was a good place for the boys to grow up. Yeah. It was fairly free. Uh, they wanted to do something, get on their bikes, and they could go. Um, it was yeah, pretty easy for them to get around. My boys all played hockey, so that kept them busy. Um, they went to school at McGritchie Primary, and they all went to Stuart High School which I believe is not there anymore either. It's now a big super school. Mm. So mm, there used to be Wyala High, Air High and Stewart, but then they're all in one big school. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a really big chunk of time to spend somewhere. You must have definitely formed some really good relationships. I did, um, and uh, and I started work. Like Once the kids went to school, once mm-hmm. the 20s were off to school, I I got some part-time work and I started working, so that keeps you going as well. How did that feel, being able to go back into the workforce again? It was lovely. I enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed working um, in all the jobs that I've had so uh, and all the future ones from there, so, um, no, it was good. Okay. What was your first position that you had? It was clerical. I was uh, um, doing clerical work and it was all manual bookkeeping in those days, Mm -hmm. double-entry bookkeeping and things um yeah so yeah and unfortunately um a marriage didn't last um and i escaped some domestic violence and we've had to make a new life but that was okay too so mm. Mm. and yeah. so that happened during your time in Wyala? yes we were in Wyala. Yeah. yes yeah mm. yeah and so um after i got myself settled and in a new home and got the kids all sorted, 
Um, I went started working back at the women's refuge. I was still working as a clerical person mm-hmm. in a paid job, but I did some voluntary work at the women's refuge um, just to help out because mm-hmm. they'd helped me. And um, and then from there, uh, back in those days, you could actually start doing work like that without your qualifications and work uh, and study after, which mm-hmm. is what I did. So, yeah. So, so you went through a huge uh, difficult crisis for the family and you, yep. you found support in, in a refuge there yep. in, in Wyala. And as you got through that, you went back and yes. were able yeah. to then give back by supporting yes. others who'd been exactly. through a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And I think I was the only staff member, paid staff member, that had actually been there through there as a, as a resident, mm. which I think gives you a bit more insight sometimes onto how you're feeling and how devastating it is. Not devastating that you're in the shelter and there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's just your feelings of like, here I am, this is all I've got now, you know, so... Yeah, so that was a bit, and I think sometimes I understood that a little bit better than some of the other staff members. So, but I'm not taken away from their work because we all work really hard. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So. so, did you have to to leave with not much or like? Oh yes, actually, yeah, with what I stood up in, is mm. that was it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was a bit devastating. So, it's not possible that- to go back and get things. So. Have you been able to since, or what does that look like? Uh, well, no, that I just moved on from there. Yes, okay. I just moved on from there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So just got myself moving, got myself working again. I worked actually at two jobs, um, two part-time jobs, because uh, so, it still fitted in with kids going to school. Mm-hmm. And I also did home bookkeeping for small business, and I had a couple of ladies that I used to do their books for them, get them ready for tax and that sort of stuff. So that was how I sort of kept us afloat, really. Mm. Yeah. So how long were you in the shelter for? Uh, a month, yes. A month. About a month, yeah. Mm. yeah. I've so, never been in that position before. Um, so you're like you're, you're in the shelter until they give you a house or until you yes, find a house? Yes, or yes. How, how does that look? Yes. Well, that back in those days, uh, the shipyards had shut. So there was a lot of housing trust houses available mm-hmm. and it's just the process that you have to go through. You've got to take a few days to settle down and then apply to the housing trust and apply for benefits and all that sort of stuff. And then it takes a few weeks for that to actually happen. Mm-hmm. But it was about a month, so, yeah. Wow. Mm. Well, that's a huge thing to have to go through. I can mm. only imagine uh, your world turned upside down. Um, yeah. And, and not yeah. everyone would find their feet again um as as you have but uh, it sounds like with the support of the uh the center you yes, were able to do that yes i was yes yeah. and and my friends you know people rallied around mm. they got stuff for us and yeah all of a sudden we were okay mm. i think that's amazing the fact that you can then go back to the place that you had to go to for refuge and then help others mm. go through similar mm. trauma yep. to that as well. Not many people would be able to do that. How, how did you get through that? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I always sort of thought that I could understand probably a little bit more. Yeah, so. Yeah. Mm. 
I think it was a good good move by the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was, it was actually because it put me on a path that I'd never even dreamt that I would ever be on. You know, like why would I do social work? I was quite happy being a bookkeeper, you yeah. know, so and at a mum and doing all those things. So um, that sort of started me on that that pattern. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, when we come back, we're going to hear more of Chris's story as she continues uh, to hear uh, what that led to and what she's doing now. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. Welcome back to Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. Today we're chatting with Chris and it's come to the part of her story where I get to ask the question that I ask most of our guests that come in. How did you meet your now husband? Oh, actually he was sitting on a cupboard. Okay. <laughs> so how romantic. We, yes, there was a whole group of people in Wyala and um, there was a lot of ladies that I'd Powered up with that were single again. Okay. And we used to go out together. There was always some music somewhere mm-hmm. and dancing and stuff. And um, yeah, so there was just groups of people hanging around, and he was sitting on a cupboard one day. And okay, so um, I wasn't really interested in remarriage. Um, that's it. It's mm-hmm. done for me, you know. So. Um, but he eventually wore me down. He used to come and visit and have a coffee at home and he continually asked me to go out with him. <laughs> but because of my former husband drinking a lot, I let it go for several months before I would. Sa- I said yes because I figured I would know how much he drank by then. And my current husband doesn't drink very much. so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, a big plus for him. Mm. He knows that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, so we met. And then after a period of time, um, my former husband, only a few months after we'd done property settlement, was killed in a road accident. Mm. So he was out of the picture. And mm. uh, Bob's wife and him had divorced. And just as we got married... Um, she unfortunately passed away. So he went to Sydney and brought his children back. So had my three boys, his two teenage boys, and Alison was nine. Wow. Mm. Big so, house. Big pardon? Big house. Yes, well, yes, it was a bit like that. And we were lucky that we were still in Wyala because there was still a lot of housing trust houses empty. And because the boys were old enough and they'd got to third-year apprentices, they could rent houses the housing trust had a rule about that because they were better than sitting empty and mm-hmm. so we had to shut some out of the house because we just didn't have room <laughs> but, you go. but they all kept coming home you know yeah, like, yeah. and we'd go around and do things for them and and so it was sort of just like extended family out yeah so did they come home for you to do their washing and for dinner? Oh, uh, no, I made a rule once they did, went, they did their own washing. Yeah. They could yeah. use the laundry, but that was fine. It had to be left in a way that I needed it. We could all get in it. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, they did their own, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was really happy to give up some washing. I'm sure you were. Yeah, so, and then after a few years, we decided that we would move, and we moved to Clare. Okay. My husband was the um, senior employment officer at BHP, mm-hmm. and that wasn't 
employing anymore. They had shut things down and things were quite off. So we decided that we it's time to move on. And we went to Clare. Um, found that beautiful after Wyala's pretty desolate. Although mm. there's a beauty in the desert around mm. Wyala. Mm. It, is, it is pretty. Um, and we lived in Clare for about 12 years. I managed to get a job there with a Job Network. And while I was there, I did my um, workplace trainer and assessor. And a lot of work that you do with long-term unemployed people involves a bit of social work. Mm. Sometimes they've got barriers to employment, so you need to work through some of those before they're ever going to get a job and stay there. So, But I enjoyed doing that as well. Mm. What Mm. are the types of barriers that you found? I just think people, when they're unemployed, and it goes for a long time, because we had a catchment area that went up to Peterborough and down around all around, mm-hmm. um, they sort of get into managing on the money and and doing bits and pieces. So their life's really okay. They think it's okay. But, of course, the government don't want to keep paying benefits. They want them to work. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of rattles their chains a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes kids have got to get off the school bus at 4 o'clock in the afternoon so... They can't get a job because they've got to be to get the kids mm. and drive them home. So yeah. they're country areas. So mm. there's some of, some of those things. So, mm. um, but but we taught all sorts of things, and we certainly did lots of vineyard courses, obviously, because mm-hmm. that's the area. Um, mm-hmm. And we were lucky enough to get our outcomes that the government were happy, and 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 some of that that's like seasonal work too. So that sort okay. of gives people a bit of a chance between. Picking and odd tying and pruning mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. So did you have to go teach people how to pick and well, I I, co- I coordinated some of that, but I certainly didn't do the teaching. Mm-hmm. We had to get some experts okay. to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so there was a lot of paperwork, obviously, and 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 then we taught lot of job search skills. You know how to get a job and a resume and mm-hmm. that's that sort of stuff. Yeah. We also did some lifestyle stuff because at that stage, if a single mum, her child, her eldest child, last child turned seven, they had to do some training to get back into the workforce. That was the, yes. So we used to do like really short courses. I used to teach computing, like basic computing. Uh, we used to do some sewing. We used to do um, cake decorating. A few few things like leisure courses mm-hmm. that would get them into the swing of things to mm-hmm. get them studying and stuff mm-hmm. again. So mm-hmm. that's like a bit of variety in in the yeah work, isn't yeah it? it was good yeah, yeah it was good and rewarding yes yeah, yeah. so, yeah. yes I thought it was mm-hmm. rewarding and just see somebody blossom a little bit and gain a little bit of confidence yeah in themselves because sometimes when you're home and the tribe of kids and that's all you've got. You sort of lose yourself. Mm. So, mm. And you yeah. just aren't having adult conversations either. <laughs> no, no, no. And and they've got no money, so they can't go anywhere mm-hmm. or do anything because they haven't got enough money to, you know, that's very basic. Um, so that gives them a, gives them an outing and and a learning something and some and they meet people. Yes, it's a social thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important. Is there a story that stands out for you from that time of you working in that mm. area? 
or stories? <laughs> I used to find that if they came in and did the cake decorating, which was just very basic and used to make flowers and all that sort of stuff, mm. they would then look at, oh, maybe I can do a computing course, mm. you know, so, or maybe I want to go and work in the vineyards because women, the girls used to as well, because that's really good. Sometimes that can work for school hours mm. to be working in a vineyard. So... Uh, then they would come on to those courses and then go on, yeah. So, yeah. Mm. So it's like empowering them with a yes, really small yeah, yes, thing yeah, that I'm sure yeah. is difficult just for some. Yes, yeah. Um, and then they were able to go on and Yes, yeah, I can remember bigger. we used to run, we had a workshop. They used to do welding courses and things as yeah. well for the fellas. And um, they'd be all huffy because they have to come in for a whole four weeks and, you know, that's rock, rock their boat a little bit. By the time you get to the end of the four weeks, and then what am I going to do next week now? It's finished. Mm. You know, so that's just, yes. So, mm-hmm. great. Mm. And by the time you were in Clare, the size of the household had that, did some. Well, no, that all, we'd lost a few. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they'd spread out because they'd got older. Mm. And we still had Alison with us. She was a bit younger than the boys. Um, some were still in Wyala. Some had moved to the city, to Adelaide. Um, yeah, so they used to, well, it was still the middle place. Everybody used to come and stay. <laughs> so you could put your attention more fully to, to your yeah. work and helping others through that as, yeah. as you've been doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. fantastic. And had you studied some social work along the way, did you say? Or, or yes, yeah. along the way, yeah. yes, when I was actually working mm. at, at, um, at uh, in Wyala. Mm. Yes, so just do that bit by bit. And, yeah. Yeah, um, and then I did the same with the workplace training and assessor. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, then, unfortunately, I got leukaemia, which didn't help things. Oh, wow. And my husband had a heart attack, which meant we were dragging backwards and forwards clear all the time for treatment, and I couldn't work. I was so sick. I just couldn't work. Mm-hmm. So we decided to move to Adelaide. I had a few years where I wasn't really doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was had a very supportive boss from um, Employment Directions, so I used to catch a train to Gawler and uh, a day a week and and still do some training with younger children, yeah, mm-hmm. um, just to keep my hand in, yeah. So and then a little bit later on, when I was better, I actually applied for a position uh, with Baptist Care, and I worked with teenage girls that were under the care of the minister. Right. Well, we'll be back to explore more about what that looks like in Chris's life straight after this on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects 1 in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. This is Life Burst with Sarah and Matt. We're chatting to Chris today. And Chris, after going through a number of crises so far and uh, working through treatment for leukaemia, you moved to Adelaide uh, and you found work with Baptist Care during that time. Uh, Yes, I did. Tell us about that season. Um, I was uh, employed to work with teenage girls that had been under the care of the minister. And sometimes we would get them 
um, when they were around 16 and they'd been in foster care. What uh, does that mean under the care of the minister? It means they've been in foster care um, okay. and in several different places. One less, well, I used to do overnights with them, which would mean I'd start work at five and we'd cook a meal together, um, do what we had to do, get up in the morning, have breakfast, um, and then get them to school or whatever they were doing. Um, and basically try and teach them some life skills. One, um, I did that for a couple of years and then I was offered a position as a coordinator, which meant I was the one that was in charge of the team. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the lasses, when I was booking her in to come in, talk to her about coming into one of our houses, mm -hmm. I asked her, how many foster homes have you been in? And she was 16, remember, mm -hmm. and she thought 20 or 21. Mm. And so she really hadn't been anywhere long enough to learn anything. Mm. Um, and so um, the idea was that we would have her for until she was 18 and try and teach her how to look after a house, pay bills, do shopping, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, another one of our young ladies that we got that I was in one of my teams, she'd been living on the streets for a couple of years and and families had got hold of her and told her that she needed to do this and she was not a happy chappy. She didn't want a house. She didn't want to have to do this. But after a several months, she got really house proud and she'd complained to me that the workers left their cups on the sink. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, so, but it was just a, a chance for them to learn some living skills that they obviously hadn't had by not being in one place long enough. Um, yeah, mm. so with those things you just pick up from your family life. Mm. Mm -hmm. You just know your mum does that, or they, so you've got to do that, or, you, you know, everybody works together and, Somebody takes the garbage out and somebody does something else. But if you're not in that situation for any length of time, you don't learn those things. Mm. Yeah, well. So, mm. I hadn't thought of that before. Big pardon? <laughs> I had not thought of that before, that that would be a barrier to something like that. Mm. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, just not having that around them to know what to do. Yes, yeah. Mm. And, and mostly they had issues, obviously, because there's no attachment. Attachment when you're a, when you're a baby, you're attached. You get attached to your parents. You get attached to your siblings. You have that family grounding. Mm. Well, most of these young people, unfortunately, didn't get that. Mm. So um, that's missing in their life. Mm. So they don't really, I don't value anything because they've never been anywhere long enough to have anything to value. Mm. So yes. Wow. But I enjoyed doing that work. It was really good. Um, it must have been a balance between being rewarding, but also uh, your your heart would break for each and every. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And then I would get really mad when they didn't come home when they were supposed mm. to. So there's a whole lot of rigmarole, like if you've got to report them missing and mm. do all the paperwork, and then they'd rock up a couple of hours later and so you have to unreport them missing and undo all the paperwork. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, but that yes, so. 
So you kind of became a mum to a whole Basically, bunch of other yes. teenagers. Yes, well, that's tied. I had grey hair, so I was actually a grandma. <laughs> oh, okay, a grandma, <laughs> and I'm sure they appreciated that. Yes, well. yeah, well, because they hadn't had that in their life either. And um, at Baptist Care, I think they were fairly careful that in each team they would have somebody that was older mm-hmm. as well as the young people, mm-hmm. you know, so. Mm. Yeah. yeah, just in case it had sort of maybe bad experiences of um, a mother figure. Uh, so that, yeah, there was an older person yes, there to yeah, help with that yeah. stuff. Mm. Yeah, so that, that was quite rewarding. And I did that till I retired when I was started at 65, enough's enough. Okay. It's time to pack it in. <laughs> right. So you put your feet up and life was... Uh, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Uh, yeah. Sounds like it, yeah. And it hasn't actually worked out like that. <laughs> okay, so what did retirement look like for you? Oh, well, I made the mistake of going to an AGM... Uh, many years ago with mm. two partners of veterans because I had become a member as my husband, current husband, is a veteran mm-hmm. and uh, ended up coming out as the secretary. <laughs> so, partners, good job. Yeah. Good partners job. of veterans. Yes, partners of veterans. Is, okay. And it's a recognised ex-service organisation and our role is to look after partners and families. Um, we have all sorts of things that we do. We like to lobby governments for things um, and I can talk about some of the stuff that, that's happened over the years. Um, yeah, please tell us. Uh, it's, it's well, it's just things, we, we're nationally affiliated, so every state has has a local um, state body mm-hmm. and, and currently I'm president. I was secretary for five years and I'm president now and it's coming up for six years. And so, um, luckily for me, over the years of doing all the work that I did, and I understood the legalities of running something. Like, it's mm-hmm. just not a mother's club with 20 or $30 in the bank. You know, like, it's, it's and things have moved on. And so you have to be legal. So um, we had to redo the constitution and do a few other things, which... I understood needed to be done and I had the skills to do. Mm. The positions that I had over the years brought all those skills together for partners of veterans. That's how I feel about it. So, um, Sounds like it as well. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. We've just, yeah, we've just redone quite a few things um, that needed to be done. So what does lobbying the government for something look well, like? Well, at the moment... A couple of years ago, we had a, mem- a member, and oh, this lady's still a member, and she's a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And she said it would be so good if we had a tick box on the education form so that when school counsellors, school teacher knows that that's a military family, just is there any military background? Tick, that's it. So we've lobbied and lobbied, and it's been passed in, in principle, mm-hmm. except. COVID stuff developed, so like it has a lot of other stuff. So we have now started lobbying again. We have a new minister in the state, um, Mm -hmm. and I've spoken to him about that already, and he's quite keen. And um, so, so can just anybody lobby the government for anything, or what? Well, what usually well usually what happens is she put the member put that up to us as our state board and our state board put that up as an agenda item for the national board okay they took it all up and it went to esort which is a an overall body in the government Mm -hmm. come back down said yes it's a good idea 
And at that stage, um, Stephen Marshall was our Veterans Affair person, and he just said, I agree with that, Chris, it's a great thing to do. And then, of course, you know, things have all gone a bit haywire the yeah. last couple of years. We're getting back on track. So that's one that we're going to continue fighting about. Um, I know the girls before, they have lobbied the government about the funeral benefit. So when our partners pass away, mm. and it depends on the criteria, of course, there's a funeral benefit that comes. And so they lobbied to get that raised not long ago, well, 10 years ago now. Mm. Mm-hmm. So now they're re-lobbying again, saying funerals have gone up. You know, so this is for veterans that die of their injuries. Mm. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's another thing that they've lobbied for. The um, There was something to do with the War Widows Extra. I don't understand much about the War Widows Extra benefit that they get for certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've lobbied for that. So there's just little things. There's nothing earth-shattering, mm-hmm. but it helps families. Mm-hmm. It's families, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, we're lob- lobbying on a, nas- on a national level we're doing a big health survey of all our partners all across Australia mm-hmm. um, and lobbying to try and get some sort of a health card for partners so that we're hooked somehow to partners mm-hmm. uh, as partners because a few years ago I had to have a hip replacement and I waited three years for that. Um, and in the meantime, you're still looking after your partner and veteran He's panicking because you're not well and it all gets a bit messy. Mm -hmm. Um, To just not, to go up the list a bit quicker. Like I've only got, I haven't got any private cover, so I've got, I'm just in public system, so I have to sit and wait. And that's something that we're trying to organise because in the meantime, we're still trying to keep our veterans healthy and happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just puts extra stress on on them as well, as well as us. So, mm. But that's one thing that they're doing at the moment. And yeah. Well, we will come back mm-hmm. and we're going to hear more about there's some things on the table. So if you are watching this interview, you would have seen them already. Uh, if you're listening, make sure you jump online and uh, watch this interview as well. So we will be back straight after this. This is Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. <laughs> If you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. Welcome back to Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. Before we went to the break, I said that there were some things on the table, so make sure that you do go uh, and watch Life Burst online, uh, the video format of it. Now, talk us through what you have here on the table you can pick up one at a time and show it to the camera. You, you can choose which one you start with. Okay, okay. You can pick pick whichever one. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. We'll I'll just pop this one up. It's yeah, our okay. national, it's the national flyer for the Partners of Veterans Association. And wherever you go in Australia, you'll see one of these um, and you'll know that partners are, are around. Um I joined that because my husband's a veteran mm-hmm. um, and because of my work background in social work, mm-hmm. it was something that I was really interested in yeah. and I, I can assure you I have learned so much mm-hmm. since I've been there. I didn't really know much about the military, but I do now. So, um, and uh, Do you part- and your husband talk in like 
at 1500 hours will go through this? Uh, <laughs> no, he doesn't actually. Okay. He doesn't. No, <laughs> he doesn't no. Yes, I know, but it, 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 not at home. It possibly when he's out, I don't know, but yes, not at home, no, no. It's not like, oh, 700 no, hours, Exactly, wake up. yeah, what's the score, yeah, so, yeah. Now, for those who uh, can't have a copy of the brochure, there is a website, pva.org.au, which are Partners of Veterans. Yes. PVA, so they'll be able to head there and find out some more information. Yes, head one. there. And there, and if you're in South Australia, there's a link to all of the states, right. which will show you the things that are happening around the place. Um, we have social groups that meet. We have one in the Riverland. We've got one in Clare. We've got one down in Victor Harbour Way. We've got one in the southern suburbs. We've got one in the northern suburbs. Right there. And they all have they all have coordinators. Yeah. And those girls do what they want to do, but they usually meet monthly. Mm -hmm. Although some of them now are meeting fortnightly. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they just decide themselves what they're going to do. And as president, I try and get to every one of them during the year. Uh, yeah. for some reason so and just go for a visit so you are president now we skipped that step that yes, right? yes yes i so am still from secretary to to president yes yeah, to president okay. yes for five years as, as secretary and then this is six years that i've done as president so um and we should mention too not only do you have that honorary title as president but you also received uh, an award uh as well recognition for your service to the community yes i did uh last year i was awarded a an OAM mm. for my services to veterans and their families. Mm. It came quite a surprise. I was not expecting it. And it's a little bit, it's really lovely because it's a man that my husband plays bowls with who knows nothing about military. <laughs> but we all just go and have teas and things together at the bowls club and just talk about what we're doing. Yeah. And so he's snuck around behind my back. And I do know that my resume was missing for a while and it turned up. <laughs> I went looking for it and I couldn't find it, but it turned up and I didn't take any notice of it. Yeah. So, and that's how come they they got me. Yes. Okay, so, well, congratulations. Yes, thank you very much. It was, yes. It and was. I'm sure you've only shared with us, uh, uh, you know, the tip of the iceberg to the things you've done as you've served over the years. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. So. To get an Order of Australia medal is a very high honour and privilege that not many people receive no no they don't and i'm sure there's more deserving people mm. and that's um, what somebody with an oam said yeah. <laughs> yeah. out there that never ever get a nomination mm. you know yeah. like there is there's people do mm. lots of lovely stuff so mm. um our other brochure that i've got here is also our um state one that we put out uh, for marketing sort of so if you see one of those around for those who stand beside them Yes, yes, and that's that's yes, and that's that's our our motto now. We're the ones that stand beside them, and get them through whatever they have to get through. Mm. So, What's the hardest thing about being a partner of a veteran? It's it's a little bit different um, because you can never tell, you know, like when something will trigger somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you just don't know. I was actually in hospital once and a nurse was um, seeing to me and that was a long time ago and she just said her husband was in the Air Force in New Zealand mm -hmm. and of course we got chatting and she said we went to the shops and when he first came back, they came 
from New Zealand back to South Australia because mm. she's a South Australian girl. And they went shopping and he just freaked completely and went. Mm. He couldn't stand it in the shop. Mm. And she'd not seen it before, hadn't seen it after, but it was just that particular time. So something must have happened that triggered something, you know. So, um, and military families, that comes back, you know, um, things that have happened. Mm. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. Some people don't even speak about it Yeah, uh, for years and years and years and years. And then all of a sudden there's some sort of a trigger or they get sick or something happens and it just brings it all back to them. So, um, yeah, so it's not an easy road for veterans and it, and it's sort of, and it comes back as a ripple effect. Yeah. Families. Yes. Yeah. So yes. really important that you're able to band together and talk yes. about these things with each other. Yes. Well, yeah. and I must point out that when we do our social groups, they are purely social. Right. Yes. We don't get there and nitpick about our, our men. Um, we have a, a call number here, 1300 and that is a crisis line which somebody will answer whenever it's rung. And that's across Australia. So uh, if I'm, it comes to my phone at home, if I'm not there, it'll bounce somewhere else and somebody else will answer it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so um, and we have to do training, DBA training and stuff to be able to be on that. So, yeah, so we've done all that as well. Mm, so, yeah, so then on top of that, we do offer the welfare services. Yeah. And, um, and then it's just... Within the groups where people have been meeting, you know, you meet all the time every month, you sit and have a chat. You see, you sit next to somebody and you twig with them, you know, like you really twig mm-hmm. when you get on mm-hmm. so that if there's some sort of a problem, I could just ring that person. Yeah. I don't have to ring everybody yeah. else yeah. or they can ring the helpline. And most of our members know they could ring me. So, yeah. um, yes, and I'm in the process of mentoring somebody through that training at the moment so there'll be another person well done Mm. well done fantastic this has been an awesome interview Mm. sad that we've come come to an end but we do have one final question that i'm sure you're going to be answered really simply in the last one minute of our show today chris if you had one piece of advice to share with those who are listening and watching today what would that be my mum was a really wise lady and after the breakup of my first marriage, I was angry, of course, and I wanted to felt like I wanted to get back. But her advice to me was just go on and have a really good life and prove yourself to be better than that person. Don't You don't need to get back. Mm-hmm. You can just go on and have a good life and you just prove to everybody that you've got a you're a good person Mm. and so I sort of took that advice and yeah well and I think you've lived that out yes I think so yeah yeah, yeah. fantastic Mm. well Chris thanks so much for sharing uh, your advice but also your story and uh, for what you continue to do Mm. uh, encouraging Mm. others Uh, you've had a, a life well lived yes thank you very much this interview I'm sure will be very encouraging to lots of people who are watching and listening and this has been Life Burst uh, with Matt and Sarah, you can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from on YouTube and Facebook and, of course, community TV and radio. I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Thanks again for joining us. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman 
with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshro Ozadigan. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Raw Cut production.